Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode three of the Amazing Maine podcast. I am Scott, your host, and this is the podcast whose recording was just interrupted by a bull moose running through my yard. Such is life in rural Maine. So, usual podcast housekeeping. Please visit our website slash blog at amazingmainpodcast.com. There you will find all of my rantings, episode announcements. You can subscribe so you never miss anything. You'll also find links to all of our social media accounts. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So please visit those as well. Follow us, like us, get involved. Give me feedback, give me suggestions, give me anything you like. Platforms we are on, we are on iTunes, we're on Podbean, we're on Google Play Music. Hopefully we'll be on more later, but that's it for now. So, if you would please, give us some reviews, give us some feedback, it would be very, very helpful. Main fact for this episode, where does the name Maine come from? Well, according to Maine.gov, there is no clear answer. Now, I know there's a joke there with a government website not having a clear answer, but I'm just going to leave it alone. Anyway, the name Maine first appears in writing, actually, in 1622, and this was as a province uh, in a charter in the Council of New England granting land to two people, Sir Fernando Georges and Captain John Mason. The portion which went to Captain John Mason uh, in 1629 he later named New Hampshire. In the same year, uh, he also, or there was also some writing that called it Laconia. Uh, interesting, there is a Laconia a city named Laconia, New Hampshire. Uh, in that rough time frame, George has also volleyed another name for his territory, New Somerset, which would eventually become what we now know as the state of Maine. Apparently, the New Somerset name was strongly disliked by King Charles and replied in a 1930 charter that it, quote, shall forever hereafter be called and named the province or county of Maine and not by any other name or names whatsoever. Interesting, uh, in that quote, Maine is actually spelled with a Y, M-A-Y-N-E. So, uh, despite this rather firm proclamation from the king, there were some other names bandied about for many years, such as Yorkshire, Ligonia, spelled with a Y, and Columbus, and the latter two of these was even appearing as late as 1819 when statehood was becoming a potential thing. If you remember back to our uh, first episode, this was just a few years before Maine actually became its own state. So, interesting. Uh, Several different names for the territory which would become Maine. Some other interesting facts about uh, the origin of the name. Uh, Apparently, Sir George's family was from a part of England that had villages that were at times called Maine, or neighbored a village called Broad Maine, again spelled with a Y. Some other names that were around that time, or in uh, certain writings, Maine was spelled M-E-I-N-E, and also M-A-I-N-E, as we spell it now. Uh, But there is nothing directly connecting these names to the current name. It's highly likely that maybe King Charles just liked that name, or Sir George's suggested it, not sure. But the prevailing theory is that Maine came from the nautical term of mainland, or mainland, which obviously is a uh, nautical term for larger body of land and not the surrounding islands. Uh, This is still in use today and believed by many that is the origin uh, of the name. In a book by G.R. Stewart, Names on the Land, which was published in 1958, 
Uh, the name was supposedly fixed in 1665 when the king's commissioners ordered that the, quote, province of Maine would be from then on used in official documents. Uh, Twelve years after this, uh, Sir George's patents were purchased by Massachusetts and the name remained intact. So looks as though there were some back in the 1600s. There were definitely some uses of the name. There's some origins in England of the name. There could be the nautical term of the name or you know, shortened version of mainland, but it stuck sometime in the late 1600s or mid 1600s and went on from there, even though other names were occasionally bandied about. So that is the belief of the origin for the name of the state. This episode's topic is the Elephant Mountain B-52 crash. This event occurred on January 24th, 1963, on Elephant Mountain, which is in Piscataquis County, roughly six miles from the town of Greenville, Maine. Unfortunately, there were seven fatalities in this crash and two survivors. A bit of background on the aircraft involved, it was a B-52 Stratofortress, a C variant to be specific. Now, the B-52 first flew in 1952, and it was introduced into use by the United States Air Force in 1955. It was produced for about 10 years, 1952 to 62, and the H variant is still in use today and still being upgraded. It's a high-altitude heavy bomber, at least that's what it was designed for originally, and it was definitely a Cold War machine, nuclear weapon capable, uh, immensely powerful aircraft, and very, very large. So the C variant that we're talking about in uh, this incident had a crew of six, typically uh, eight jet engines. It was about 156 feet long, just over 40 feet high, a wingspan of 185 feet, max speed of 636 miles per hour, and it could carry about 43,000 pounds of offensive weapons. That's after all of its fuel and everything else. And it had a combat radius of 3,500 miles. That means it could go out, fly for 3,500 miles, and then come back without refueling. Very big, very powerful aircraft, and as I mentioned, still in use today. It's very, very impressive. Now, the incident on Elephant Mountain. It was a training mission. It departed Westover Air Force Base in western Massachusetts at about 12.11 p.m., and it was scheduled to return at 5.30 p.m. the same day. At approximately 2.30 p.m., it arrived in the area of Maine for training. It descended to 500 feet, roughly 150 meters, and it started its simulation of penetrating enemy airspace at low altitude uh, with an airspeed of about 280 knots. This is 320 miles per hour, 520 kilometers per hour. The outside conditions uh, were pretty rough at uh, gusts of about to 40 knots, uh, which is 46 miles per hour or 73 four kilometers per hour. The outside temperature was negative 14 degrees Fahrenheit. That's negative 26 Celsius. There was also five feet of snow on the ground. At approximately 2.52 p.m., the pilot attempted to climb above some turbulence that the aircraft was experiencing as it was flying at low altitude. And roughly at this time, the vertical stabilizer came off the aircraft in what was basically classified as almost an explosion. Now, if you're not familiar with airplanes or this uh, term is unfamiliar to you, the vertical stabilizer is basically the tail fin. At the end of the aircraft, it is a critical flight surface, basically meaning that with this, uh, the, the plane probably would not be uh, in flyable condition. 
The pilot attempted to stabilize the aircraft. He was unable to. The nose dipped down. It went into a hard right turn, and the pilot gave the order to abandon the aircraft. What's important to realize here is that the flight deck personnel were able to eject. They had ejection seats. These ejection seats were in an upward direction, so at a low altitude, or even on the ground, they were able to get out of the aircraft. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dante Bully, the aircraft commander, landed in a tree, survived the night in his survival sleeping bed on top of an inflated life raft. Captain Gerald Adler, the navigator, struck snow. He actually hit snow in his ejection seat. He didn't, his parachute did not fully deploy, and he survived wrapped up in his parachute with a fractured skull and many fractured ribs. The co-pilot unfortunately struck a tree and was killed. All the other crew members were killed. They either had no ejection seats and would have had to parachute, or their ejection seats actually went in a downward direction, and at the low altitude there was just no way they could get out of the aircraft. The crash was witnessed by a road grader operator in the area and was reported, was able to see a smoke cloud. Unfortunately, that day, search efforts were hampered by the fact that the crash site was believed to be further south and east of where it actually was. On the second day, rescuers from the Maine State Police, the Maine Game Wardens, Air Force units from Dow Air Force Base in Bangor, the Civil Air Patrol, and various other units from New Hampshire and Massachusetts, aided by the Scott Paper Company, which dispatched plows from Greenville to clear about 10 miles of snow drifts, which included some up to 15 feet deep, uh, reached the crash site. The rescuers had to use snowshoes, sled dogs, and snowmobiles to reach the crash site. Roads were only able to get the crews about a mile uh, or within a mile of the crash site and then they had to go the last bit on foot or on snowmobile or dog sled. This was actually the second accident of this type where the vertical stabilizer came off a of B-52C. Two further accidents occurred before the fleet was reinforced and the vertical stabilizer was changed on future variants. The site today actually roads pass much closer to it. Uh, it's only about a 400-yard hike from a nearby road. Much of the fuselage remains. Unfortunately, many items have been removed by uh, souvenir hunters, and there's a lot of graffiti on the fuselage. People have painted their names, either engraved them in, or uh, used permanent marker and spray paint, this sort of thing. A local snowmobile club, the Moosehead Riders, actually holds annual uh, ceremonies at the site, and they have items on display in their clubhouse. And there's also some further items on display in other museums throughout the state, Bangor and Augusta. Recent events for the site, actually, uh, even though this was back in uh, the 60s, in 2011 and 12, an ejection seat was found by a hunter, and it actually is believed to be the pilot's ejection seat. It hadn't; it had been missed in uh, previous searches, so this was actually well, about a mile from the original crash site, and it was uh, taken out and put on display. In 2013, the 50th anniversary of the crash, uh, there were a number of ceremonies, including one on Memorial Day. The pilot and navigator were actually out at the site meeting the rescuers in some cases for the first time since the event and giving uh, very rare interviews. If you do visit the site, which you can, I urge you to respect the site. It is a place where a number of people died. Uh, these included Major Robert Morrison, a co-pilot, Major Robert Hill, radar navigator, Captain Herbert Hansen, a navigator, Captain Charles Letcher, radar navigator, 
Lieutenant Colonel Joe Simpson, instructor pilot, Major William Gabriel, instructor navigator, and Technical Sergeant Michael O'Keefe, the gunner. If you'd like to know more about this incident, there are a number of websites and articles that discuss it in detail, and I'll link some of these in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining the Amazing Maine podcast. We'll be back soon with a new episode. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Amazing Maine podcast. Faulty recording, bad editing, and substandard technical knowledge are all provided by me, Scott, your host. Interruptions are provided by my children, a family dog that can't come to grips with Maine wildlife or delivery drivers, and my own ninja-like mastery of procrastination. You can help promote the podcast by visiting our website at www.amazingmainepodcast.com and on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and something called Pinterest. Who knows, maybe with some luck, I could get some sponsors and even buy a decent microphone. Thanks for your help, everyone. Have a great day.